2: Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado, and I have the privilege of filling in today, as I did yesterday and will do tomorrow, for my pastor, Pastor Ron, who normally hosts this radio show to answer your Bible questions. He is away with Paula on a conference, so the Calvary Chapel Association Conference, the annual conference is uh this week and so that's where he's at in california he's doing well this is the busy day for him where he's meeting and talking with everybody and they're doing conference things and so you can keep him in prayer i'm sure he would appreciate it paula and pastor ron will be back here on the show thursday for the date day edition so i will be here again tomorrow lord willing to take your calls but today Is Tuesday nothing special going on tonight here at Calvary Chapel? So I'll give you the phone numbers so you can call in with your questions. 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585, the toll-free number is 877-630-5757, 877-630-5757. We've got an email address if you want to submit questions that way. It's questions at calvarysa.com. Questions, that's plural, at calvarysa.com. We also have the church app. You can submit questions that way. You can use also the KSLR mobile app to listen and even call into the show. And you just hit the call now button at the top, especially if you're driving, makes it super easy and you 'll be connected right to our producer at the radio station, okay, well, I already told you it 's Tuesday, nothing else going on. I do want to say last night 's a couple of thoughts from last night 's Bible study, so last night our men 's and women 's and youth Bible study night here at Calvary Chapel uh, last night was, was was a special one for me, and it 's interesting too because I found out one of the questions today in fact our first question. Uh, deals with something that um, Linda McMillan taught last night. The excellent passage in Philippians chapter 2. Ladies, if you want to be encouraged, go and listen to it at calvaryessay.com. For us, the men, we had a great time going through the, the the beginning of the meaty section of the book of Romans. Now, I say meaty because those of you that are Bible students know The way that Romans is broken down, at least structurally, uh, Paul builds this legal argument for justification by faith. And we were at the very beginning of chapter 3 and last night. And chapters 3 through 8 is really the meat of his uh, uh, discourse where he presents this legal case. And so we began last night in chapter 3 talking about the faithfulness of God. And this was personal to me because uh, if it weren't for the faithfulness of God, I mean, the obvious thing is I wouldn't be here, but it strikes me. As I was going through the passage over and over again, it just really struck my heart to think about how faithful God has been to me and to May in our lives. In our family, and and I'm sure those of you listening in the radio listening audience could say the same thing. Too often we get so busy and we get so many things going on that we lose sight of the fact that God is so faithful and His faithfulness doesn't depend on me, that's who He is. Anyways, I want to jump right to the phone lines, and so I don't want to keep anybody waiting. Line one, Ron, you are on the air. Hi, Ron. Hi, Ron, are you there?
3: Just rolling off the road, and a pleasure to speak with you also. Normally, it's Pastor Ron, but um, I know you're gonna help me out. I just wanted to hear from your perspective. the holiday is, well, people want to call it, I guess that's what it is to the world. It's a holiday, Halloween. So I wanted your perspective on Halloween because I know that um, there's a lot of pros and cons, but I've seen a lot on the Internet as far as, um, sure, and not just the Internet, talking to people. Um, I went past, a I worked overtime, I think it was last Saturday, and Sunday I think was the actual day of Halloween. There was a Methodist church. And they had a huge big old blowout. They must have had two hundred and fifty people, little children all over the place and um they looked you know pumpkins and such and uh now this was a Methodist church, mind you um, <laughs> and of course there's a lot of people that that um that will justify this, but I wanted to hear your perspective on on Halloween because Christians know the the roots of Halloween to a to a degree sure. Uh, we don't know with all certainty. We just know what we've heard that um, this is uh, something you dismiss. It's something for the children. It's something that uh, they look forward to. And now within the last, looks like, 10 years, adults have been partaking big time in Halloween. So
2: Sure, absolutely. Uh, from, I-, I think from I can help, Ron. Uh, absolutely. So let, let, thank you for your question, Ron. And, and so let me get right to it. Halloween is obviously a, a, a holiday, if you want to call it that, like you said, that the world celebrates and uses as an opportunity to talk about things really that they don't know about, demonic things and, you know, unholy things. But here's my perspective on it, Ron, and since you asked me, and this is what we and Pastor Ron is, is the same thing. What we love about Jesus most is this, that he specializes in taking the lost and the, the, the worldly things and redeeming them for his glory. The same could be said for the Christmas holiday. At its origin, at its root, it, it's a pagan holiday, and a lot of Christians have a problem with that. But what we say is, look, we, if we have the opportunity and we have the world's attention, even if it's for a day, whether it's that exact day or not is relevant. We've got the world's attention. Let's take it and use it for God's glory. We do the same thing with with any other holiday, just like Halloween even. But what we're not going to do, Ron, is what you described. It's not a time for Christians to participate in the ungodly things that the rest of the world is doing. What we want to do is use it as an opportunity to set us apart. So here's a practical way. Right, if kids want to dress up and the parents are fine with it, then that's great. But dress them up in, in in costumes that honor the Lord. Dress them up as biblical characters. I can't think of a better way to strike up a conversation with the other kids that you're on the street walking around with, or the doors that open to you. Literally, the doors that open to give you candy. They're going to ask, "Who are you?" It's a Perfect way to say, "Hey, I'm Jesus, and I died to forgive you of your sin." And that's the perspective we want to have. Instead of being known, Ron, for uh, as Christians who are known for what we don't support or what we're against, what we want to do is take every opportunity we can to redeem the lost. You know, when when Paul writes to the ephesians and and remember his encounter with them in the book of acts he writes to them and tells them remember what you used to be like you had all these scrolls and you had uh, that were worth lots and lots of money but you took them and you publicly burned them in the square to tell everybody that's not who you are anymore well god specializes in redeeming the lost and using them for his glory so that's what i would say my perspective is, Ron, we want to use any and every opportunity we can to redeem the lost. And, and look, if, if others feel that they have license by the Lord and they're being led by the Spirit to do whatever they want to do to celebrate the fall, that's great. As long as it honors the Lord, that's between them and the Lord, and that should be okay with us. So I hope that helps, Ron. Thank you for your call. Thank you for your call. Let's go right back to our phone lines. We've got another caller, Alan, on line two from New Braunfels. You're on the air. Pastor Ken, can you hear me? Hi, Alan. Yes, I I can hear you. Okay. Um,
4: There's a a Christian brother that I've known for about three years, and the way I saw him when when I first met him to now, he's definitely a, a new creation in Christ, but there are times that he he says a lot when he prays. I rebuke you, devil. I know that is not a correct way to pray, especially after listening to Pastor Ron's Bible study last Wednesday about um, Gabriel fighting with the devil for three weeks, and they needed the angel Michael to help him. Right. My question is, what what my question is, what scripture can I share with this man? In a lovingly manner, tell
2: him that this is not a good way to pray. Okay, well, great question, Alan, and you are absolutely right. There are multiple places where you can encourage him. What I would do, Alan, is since you have equity with this friend, you said you've known him for about three years, and you know he is the new creator. This is the thing. What I would do is take him to... Second Corinthians is a great place to start chapter five where obviously we're talking about the new creation in Christ, and you want to remind him that this is who he is, this is who he is, and so he 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 is uh the old is gone, and the new has come and what he what he needs to do now is fix his eyes on Jesus, so in terms of how he should pray, I mean we don't want to give him. Uh, a structure or a model for prayer, but we want to turn his attention to, say, Hebrews chapter 12, where, where I believe Paul, the apostle being the author, says, fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. And what that will do, it, it, Alan, is instead of giving your friend here sort of a template to follow, it will show him that his prayer is just the expression that comes from his heart. And if your eyes, the eyes of your heart are fixed on Jesus, you're going to spend your time in prayer focused on him, talking to him. That's what prayer is. Tell him that, that, that prayer, you want to spend your time in prayer focused on Jesus, talking to him, not talking to the, to the devil or talking to anybody else. Those are all distractions. And so, uh, you can use Ephesians chapter three, Paul's prayer there. I think it's in verse 18 or 19, beginning there. He, he talks about fixing your eyes on Jesus. And what that will do is expand the way you see things not, and God will be able to do things beyond anything you could ever hope for or imagine. And that's what we want to focus on in our time of prayer, not the enemy, because what happens, Ellen, is this, and I'm sure you've noticed it, the enemy uses that distraction to his advantage because all this time that we're spent, we're spending in prayer with our attention on anything besides Jesus, we're no longer able to hear from Jesus. And that's what the purpose of prayer is. In my time of prayer, I know that there are distractions. There are always things that come up. And I have to recognize them right away, not get distracted by them. And you fight. You fight not the enemy. You fight your flesh. You fight the distractions to stay fixed on Jesus. And that's the simplest way. Those are some of the scriptures that I would uh, point him to. But uh, Jesus is his defender. Jesus is our defender. And so you let him... Take care of the enemy while our eyes are fixed on him. Does that make sense, Alan?
4: It makes a lot of sense. I appreciate
2: it. Uh, Thank you for your call. I really appreciate your call, and thank you. I know who you are. You're my good friend, and I appreciate that. Alan, God bless you. Let's go back to our questions that have been submitted. We don't have any other calls on the phone line. So the first one here we'll get to, is submitted was from Jason. It says, can you please explain differences between being a Christian and being a legalist? Well, this is a perfect question for Ron, in line with Ron's call. But uh, Jason, here's the simple difference. The, the key difference between being a Christian and being someone who is legalistic really is in the motive of your heart. That's it. It's the motive of your heart that matters. When your motive is to please the Lord, then you view your walk with Jesus and the things that he asks you to do as a get-to. But the, the legalists view things as a got-to. I've got to do this. And uh, I'd mentioned it in... Linda's teaching last night, she covered this passage in Philippians chapter 2. What Paul the Apostle writes that we are to work out our salvation. And it literally means to work out of our salvation. In other words, because we work because of what we have been given, that's his righteousness. The legalist works to gain righteousness. And so the focus is on the work. Now, on the outside, you can have somebody who is a legalist scrubbing the toilet, and you can have somebody who is serving with a grateful heart that's scrubbing the toilet, and they could look exactly the same. And this is why I say it's the motive of your heart that matters. Since God is the only one that can see into your heart what he wants— is not us to not so much to focus on what the work looks like on the outside. So there's no difference maybe on the outside, but Jason there's a huge difference on the inside. And and, and the legalist proves that he really doesn't know Jesus because if if his righteousness has been imputed to us. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. Because his righteousness, Jesus's righteousness, has been imputed to us. This is a business uh, term. It's a transaction that says his righteousness in full measure has been fully credited, fully deposited to our account. There's no more righteousness that we can gain. The full amount of Jesus's righteousness has been credited to us. And since that's true, Jason, since it's been given to us already, out of that righteousness, we can't help but produce good fruit. Now, the opposite of that is the legalist who who feels like they have to earn or work to gain righteousness. And this is why you have people who don't know Jesus or they have a skewed understanding of who Jesus is have no concept of uh, of salvation uh, through faith in Christ. And what they do is they go knocking on doors and go door to door thinking that every door that they knock on is just one step closer to gaining the righteousness of God. That's just not true. And the Bible doesn't teach that. That's what I would say, Jason, is the big difference, the main difference between someone who is... A Christian, a grateful Christian, and someone who is legalistic. Now, l- let me also say this: uh, in the sanctification process, what God will do with with new believers who come from a background that is works oriented, He will deal with this because a lot of this, a lot of times, we carry over some of our thoughts uh, from a previous religious belief system. And as a a babe in Christ, as a new believer, we don't realize that what we're doing is is works-oriented. But Jesus, in the sanctification process, will wean those things out and teach us that we have been given his righteousness and there's nothing else we can do to earn more. We have been given the full measure of his love and there's nothing we can do to make him love us more. And when you get that, it really changes the way you live. It really does. You're not going to get offended as easily. You're not going to evaluate your performance as harshly. You'll understand that Jesus is pleased with you because you are serving him with a heart that's right and with a motive that is pure. And that's what it's supposed to look like. But in the sanctification process, what I was getting at is that this, there are some times when we carry over this legalistic mindset, but God will deal with those things. He will, for those that are really His. Okay, well, let's go on to the next question. It's from William. I have been saved for almost two years now. In the first year, God would speak to me through so many things. I I, I now feel like God isn't there, and I'm not hearing from Him anymore. How do I hear from God like I used to? William, this is a great question. In fact, what I would do is point you to our Sunday study this past Sunday, Pastor Ron talks about this in his study in 1 Corinthians 16. But let me give you the answer here. There is what I just mentioned, a sanctification process that begins from the day we get saved. And it's a process, which means it carries on from the day that we go and to be with the Lord. The moment of justification is a moment in time that happens. The moment you give your life to Christ, you're completely justified. But at that moment also begins the sanctification process. And this occurs day by day. And this process is us being molded and shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. And so in that process, William, you will hear at the beginning God speaking to you with signs, with with things, bumper stickers will con- confirm what he's been saying to you. Somebody will say something to you in a conversation, and it'll be exactly what the Lord's been speaking to your heart about. And you'll see and hear these things that are going to be obvious confirmations from the Lord. But as you mature, what Jesus will do is speak to you less. And he'll speak to you less intentionally. He's not abandoning you, but he's teaching you to depend upon his word, exclusively on his word, to know his character, to trust his word, and to walk by faith, to know his character, to trust his word, and to walk by faith. That's the the maturation or the sanctification process. We don't need those training wheels anymore. That that illustration that Pastor Ron used is perfect because as a kid, you're, you're learning how to ride a bike. And you need the wheels, the training wheels, to sort of keep you steady and straight. But after a while, those need to come off and they come off because uh, you're ready. And I would say this too. When God takes the training wheels off, when the signs become less and then the messages or the signs don't occur as often, it's a good thing. It's a good thing because it's it's Jesus saying, "William, it's time to put on big boy pants. We don't need training diapers anymore. We're going to put on big boy pants." And this is how we grow in the Lord. We're dependent less on the external signs and wonders, and we're more dependent upon the character and nature of Jesus Christ through his word. And that is a good thing. It doesn't feel good at first, but William, this is how we grow. So go and listen to this, our study this past Sunday. I think it will really encourage you. This is exactly what Pastor Ron is talking about. Not the whole study, but the, sort of in the middle section there. But, but it's, it's something that we forget as believers because we're used to the signs. And we like the signs and we like the confirmations. But walking by faith means that we don't rely on those signs anymore. Uh, instead, because that's walking by sight, walking by faith means we're going to trust him at his word. And it also means this, William, you've got to know what the Bible says. The longer you have been a Christian, the more you should know his word. If you know the same amount of your Bible that you did a year ago today, that's not a good thing. You should know more of God's word every day. And that's what will help you mature. You keep the Word of God at the forefront of your mind, and it will help you in the decision-making process. William, I hope that helps. Thank you for your question. So you can hear the, the music. That means we are closing out the first half of the Tuesday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken. I'll be back in two minutes.
0: back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome back to the second half of the Word to Stand On for Life. This is the Tuesday edition. I said it yesterday. I'll say it again because I know some of you tune in. At the second half of the show, maybe you're in your car, maybe you just got off work, and you're expecting to hear Pastor Ron's voice. Well, today, you get mine. I'm f- I'm filling in for my pastor. He is away at the CCA conference with Paula. He will be there in California till tomorrow. So you can keep him in prayer. Today's the busy day for him. He's got the the, the bulk of the conference is today, so... Pastor Ron says, hello, both he and Paula are doing well, uh, reconnecting and connecting with old friends, encouraging other pastors and pastors' wives. But uh, they they both want you to know that they miss you, the radio audience, very much. And they'll be back here Thursday for the date day edition. Okay, let's go back right to our phone lines. Line one, Alan, you are on the air. Hi, Pastor Ken. Hi, how are you? Oh, God hi, Alan. Bless you. Um, hi, I, I know, I'm to,
1: doing well. I, I've been to Calvary Chapel. I've been there twice actually, and I have some I have some chronic illnesses and they keep me from from going out too much. I'm pretty much house housebound here. But I, I met you uh, and your wife May, and I pray for you and uh, your wife May and um, Pastor Ron and Paul all the time. And so I just have to I had had two heart operations, and I have some oh, other. I had some other diseases that that have been undiagnosed. But uh, I was waiting oh, for a, Alan. waiting for a PSA a PSA test, uh, and so uh, I was just really weak, and I've been I can barely talk now. But I was just calling to ask for your prayer. Um, absolutely,
2: so, yes, absolutely, uh, and I know exactly who you are, Alan. In fact, I've been asking Tom about you. Um, uh, because I I, I know uh, that you've been going through a really difficult time, and I've been thinking about you and praying for you. So thank you for calling, and I would love, love to pray for you right now. Thank you for remembering
1: me, Pastor. Thank you.
2: Absolutely. In fact, I know the exact seat that you—or the row. I don't say the exact seat. I know the row that you sit, so I look for you often. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for bringing Alan to our church that he shared his story with me and with some of us here at the church, and he's been through so much. But Lord, in your faithfulness, you have sustained him thus far when, when it didn't seem like he would make it. But you've got work for him to do, even still, with his body going through so much. So I'm praying, Lord, that you would bring comfort, restore his health, that you would bring answers to questions that have none, uh, that you would give the doctors wisdom, because Alan has been suffering for so long, both physically and emotionally and mentally, and he's endured so much. But you know what I love, Lord, is that throughout all this, Alan is the one that's going out and encouraging people. When he was here, he was the one that wanted to pray for others, and that's just proof, Lord, that, that he has your heart. So as I virtually lay my hands on him over the radio waves, I'm asking for your healing, that you would keep him company, whisper into his ear how much you love him, and Lord, that you would bring Alan back to us here at church soon. In Jesus' name, amen. Alan, thank you for your call. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to pray for you, and and I will continue to do so and and check in with Tom once in a while, or, or or with me, and and continue to let us know how you're doing, so we can pray for you and maybe see you back at church soon. Okay,
1: I'd like, I'd love that, and I hope your wife May's uh, uh mom is doing okay. Is it, is she is she okay? Oh, uh, because I guess she had cancer, is, all, is what you all told me when I spoke
2: with you. That's right. It was it was her dad. It was her dad. Oh, and thank you perfect. for praying for him. He's doing much better. His. His, uh, his numbers are, are up close to normal range, and we believe with all of our heart that it's because of the, the many, many prayers. So thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart.
1: Oh, God bless you.
2: Oh, that's great. God bless you, Alan. Oh, what an awesome call. Thank you so much. Well, let's go back to our phone lines. What an encouragement. Cindy from San Antonio, you are on the air.
4: Hi, Pastor Ken. How are you today?
2: Hi, Cindy. I'm doing well.
4: Well, you know, I have kind of an odd question. I was reading in um, in uh, the Gospel of Mark in the first chapter, and it's talking about John the Baptist. Now, it's talking about... Uh, um, my question is, why would it be important for it to be written that he ate locusts and honey, and if anybody in the Old Testament had that diet? I kind of tend to think that that wasn't all he ever ate, Um I don't think you could survive physically on just locusts and honey. I think you get pretty unhealthy because you know I'm not a <laughs> vegan or a vegetarian or anything, and I kind of think you need all those other, other goodies, you know, to, to uh, survive. So I'm just curious why it would be important enough to mention the locusts and the honey. I um, I worked at the Gold Hill Inn, which is above Boulder, Colorado, for several seasons, and the owner's wife had chocolate-covered grasshoppers and was thinking about maybe <laughs> putting them on the menu oh, so boy. when I, I I was brave enough to try one and I can really? honestly say I think I would ever in a million years I'd be starving before I'd have another chocolate-covered grasshopper
2: <laughs> but anyway so that's so. exactly what I'd say oh yeah well, let me take your question Cindy
4: I wouldn't pay for one again. (laughs) Anyways, I'm going to get off the phone and listen to you. And it's always good to hear you. Bye.
2: Oh, bye, Cindy. God bless you. Thank you. So, yes, Mark chapter one. And uh, Mark's gospel begins, like you said, Cindy, with the introduction of John the Baptist. And they're in the, the first section, probably the first seven, eight, Ten verses. It's about his ministry, John the Baptist's ministry. And it's an interesting thing because that specific description of John's lifestyle is intended to describe his personality, but his also his his commitment to the Lord, because, and here's what that means: locusts and wild honey are really common items, common diet items in, in the desert. And John was one who was set apart from everybody else. He stayed in the desert area and he was completely dependent upon the things that the Lord would provide for him in that environment. So in those desert regions, believe it or not, the, the wild honey and even the dried insects were, were common diet. Items, And and Leviticus actually lists locusts as one of the the clean foods for the Israelites. And so this is what would describe uh, John being set apart. It would add to this description as one who is called out in the wilderness, set apart from everybody else. And that's why he did that. So I, I hope that helps, Cindy. It's interesting to me that that Leviticus would call a locust one of the clean foods because like you'd mentioned, Cindy, I I don't consider it something that is, well, at least it doesn't look clean to me. (laughs) Your description of the chocolate-covered, I think you said grasshoppers. I'm sure in some part of the world that is an expensive delicacy, but uh, not in my house it isn't. (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd probably lose weight before I had to eat something like that. But <laughs> thank you for your call, Cindy. Yeah, locusts and wild honey. John the Baptist was definitely one who was different from everybody else. But that's, again, what set him apart. He really was. For the purpose of bringing everybody's attention to the coming of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Okay, let's go back to our questions that have been submitted. Let me give you the phone numbers one more time. 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585, 877-630-5757. That's the toll-free number. Once again, 877-630-5757. Don't forget the email address if some people like to submit questions that way. Questions at CalvarySA.com. That's questions, plural, at CalvarySA.com. Next question in our email inbox is from Anonymous. Uh, My husband always wants to have sex, and I'm not so much like him in that way. So when we do have sex, I don't find myself enjoying it. And this can lead to arguments. Arguments. I want to stop having sex for a time and pray so that I can ask God to help me with this. So I referred to 1 Corinthians 7 5, where it says, It is okay. It says that this is okay to do. He doesn't agree with me on this, and it's causing a lot of problems in our marriage. Am I wrong about this? And is it okay to fast from sex in marriage? Well, Anonymous, obviously, this is a serious issue in your marriage. Um, the first thing I will say is this. This isn't an issue that you could simply resolve by citing a Bible verse because there are deeper issues here in your marriage that need attention, immediate attention. So what I would say, Anonymous, is this. You need to get counseling, person, in-person counseling with your pastor as soon as possible because this is a conversation that needs to take place with you and your husband present so that the uh, your pastor will have an opportunity to get to the heart of the issue now what you referred to in 1 Corinthians 7 well you're right that this is prescribed by Paul as something to that you can Temporarily fast from in your marriage, but it isn't meant to be uh, sort of a, a proof text to stop having sex because you don't want to. This is so that you could turn your attention to the Lord, not because you're having problems, but so that you both together would spend this time seeking Jesus. Now, what you need to remember, and this would apply to both of you, both you and your husband, is this. The gift of sex in marriage was given to us by God to be shared only between husband and wife and and in this intimacy God is glorified it's not meant to be something that we do to to please ourselves and 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 without getting graphic or too detailed but we need to understand that Sex really is a holy thing. It's a holy act. It's not about the details, and it's really not about, especially not about you finding personal pleasure in it or, or each, the spouse doing something for themselves or being pleased. Love, true love between husband and wife should seek to outdo one another in showing love to each other most christians know that that section the later sec- the latter section of ephesians chapter 5 where the role of the husband and the role of the wife is clearly defined uh, according to god's word the role of the wife and the role of the husband there as paul describes it to the church in ephesus This is what a godly marriage looks like. But what we often forget, and maybe it's because some of our our Bibles have that that formatting, that modern formatting that adds sort of a paragraph in between the spaces, or a space in between the paragraph there. But verse 21 of chapter 5 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is what we forget. Then in verse 22, we begin with the role of, of the wife, and we think that's where the counseling starts, where the guidance begins, but it's not. Again, what Paul said here in verse 21, and this would apply to your marriage, is that we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And when we do that, anonymous, in the sex act, it becomes less about ourselves and more about Our spouse. The world thinks and has perverted sex into be something completely ungodly. But Christians can't view sex in the marriage the same way the world does. So what those issues are, Anonymous, in your marriage, and again, this goes beyond... The sex act in your marriage. This, this just just the the manifestation of deeper issues, spiritual issues. And this needs immediate attention. And so, anonymous, please sit down with your pastor, both you and your husband, and so you can get godly counsel. And then. 1 Corinthians 5, like I'd already mentioned earlier, it is not something that uh, you want to use as a proof text to, to say, well, I have the right to abstain. It's, it's meant there that Paul would write with mutual consent, both of you in agreement with the Lord, seeking the Lord, not one saying, I, I don't want to do this anymore. One thing I would add to Anonymous is the gift of sex. And I see the gift because it is given to us by God is, is I'd already mentioned it's the, the, the physical manifestation of the intimacy we have in our marriage. But remember this, it's also the closest thing we have. The marriage is the closest thing we have on earth that represents our relationship with Jesus So God has given you your husband as a gift to you. And God has given your husband you as a gift to him. And the way that you two husband and wife come together is to honor the Lord spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and, and physically. And so you want to honor the Lord in everything that you do and don't look for loopholes because you don't feel like it. Remember this too in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. That means your body doesn't belong to you. In submission to one another, both you and your husband belong to each other. So I hope that helps Anonymous. Again, I I know that's probably what you didn't want to hear, but... It's important. It's very important. You do not belong to yourself. Let's go on to the next question. Pete says in First John chapter 2, verses 18 and 22, John talks about the Antichrist is coming, even though no, many, I think you meant even now, many Antichrists have come, The liar is whoever denies Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist. So, is there more than one Antichrist? Is the Antichrist in Revelation 13, verses 11 through 14, referred to as the beast from the earth, a totally different Antichrist? Pete, good question. And so to, the short answer to your question is that John, in the first letter, chapter 2, is talking about the spirit of Antichrist, not a person, not an, a, an individual. In Revelation 13, we actually have two beasts who are introduced to us. The first one is in the first 10 verses, that's the person we would call the antichrist remember he's not a person i mean that's not his name he is a person but his name isn't antichrist but that's what we would call him this is the one there the first beast that came out of the sea and this would be the one who would, we would call the person who is the Antichrist. The verses you mentioned, the following verses in Revelation 13, verses 11 through 14, describe the beast, the second beast that comes from the earth. This is not the uh, the one we would call the Antichrist. This is actually, interestingly enough, the, the, the false prophet who would be the third person in the devil's unholy trinity. He's the one that emerges from the earth. And the symbolism there is he's from the people of the earth versus the ones who are in heaven. But the one who is spoken of in the first 10 verses, this one is the one that you're referring to. But this is not the same thing. This is not the same person referred to in 1 John chapter 2. Because remember again, in 1 John chapter 2, uh, John is talking about those who have the spirit of Antichrist, those who have uh, the mindset that think against Jesus. So whoever denies Jesus is the Christ. These people are against Jesus or they're Antichrist. So it doesn't mean that they're the Antichrist. It means these people are against Jesus. So it's it's a collection of people or anyone that has this mindset is antichrist Verses revelation 13 not 11 through 14 but the first 10 verses is about the person the singular person the one who will unite the world and provide peace among the nations this is the one in revelation 13 that we would call the singular person the antichrist thank you for your question pete i hope that helps We are just inside four minutes, about four minutes, so I'm not going to give you the phone calls anymore. I'm sorry, the phone number anymore. Uh, We don't have enough time to take your calls, uh, but I do have a couple of short questions here that I think I can address. Uh, The next one's from Art. I've seen people that really looked saved and claimed they believe in Jesus, but then they fall away and die in unrepentant sin an unrepentant sin. Does that mean that they were never really saved to begin with and are now in hell? Well, if they die in unbeliever art, that means they're an unbeliever. And that means, yes, not in hell, but they are in this place of eternal separation from God. Because remember hell itself, the lake of fire does not open up until revelation chapter 19. Um, But, but the answer to your question is yes, because you can look like a Christian, but the outward appearance of a Christian doesn't mean that there has been an inward change. And remember what John wrote in his first letter, chapter 2, when he was talking about those who were within the church that were starting to teach a different gospel, and they strayed away; they sort of seceded from the church because of their variant teaching, sort of like uh, the group in Acts chapter 15 from the church in Jerusalem. John would write this about them. He says, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. And the implication there is they never really belonged to us at all from the beginning. So the outward appearance of somebody who is a Christian or looks like a Christian doesn't mean that they lost their salvation if they die in unrepentant sin. God knows those who are his, John chapter 10. And so he's not going to lose anybody. No one's going to be snatched away from his hand. So nobody's going to fool Jesus. He already knows those who are pretending to be his and those who really belong to him. So God is faithful. God is faithful, Art. I hope that helps. And let me encourage you, you know, that instead of asking the question, and I know you didn't ask this in your question, but when people ever ask, well, can I lose my salvation? Uh, I, I tell them that you, you shouldn't want to. And if they don't want to, that would make them want to stay with Jesus. Those who don't care about their salvation or those who don't care about the things of God, and maybe they once did prove that they never really belonged to him. This is why I always tell people you treat people according to the way they live, not according to what they say. You can say whatever you want. But if your lifestyle reflects something completely opposite of what you say, then you prove yourself to be a liar. And the truth is not within you. First John would say this. And I know that's a hard truth, Art, but it's got to be something we communicate with absolute clarity. We don't want to give people any gray area. We want to make it clear for them, black and white, so that they will make a decision to walk with Jesus. Well, you can hear the music. That means we are done with the Tuesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken. I'll be here tomorrow at four o'clock. Lord willing, I'll see you then.